Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to David Smith from T-Systems, and we discuss their new offering in future cloud infrastructure, the concept of FUD, and how T-Systems is positioning themselves in the cloud market. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. How are you? Good. I like what do you got in the background there. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually part of my dining room. Uh, part of the oh. wonderful, strange times we live in right now with COVID-19 and working from home and uh, sharing my office with my uh, with my wife. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's enough. You just that's it. That's it. the statement stands on its own. <laughs> the boss. <laughs> <laughs> I went up to uh, my parents, they own a medical clinic. And so like uh, for wellness and health, people who want to improve. And, and I went up there to visit them today and get, uh, you know, vitamin IV. I don't know if you've ever done that. Have you ever done that? I, I have not. It's pretty interesting. They put all these vitamins into like an IV bag and they just give you an IV. Uh, and I did that. But, but on the interstate, it's like an hour away. There were a lot of people Like you would be surprised if it, it did not look like social distancing was happening. It looked like we were all back to work. Wow. Wow. Strange. Yeah. What, uh, what part of the States is that in? So uh, that'd be like Tampa, Florida area. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. And I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. So a uh, little bit more, uh, uh, I should say getting closer to back to normal, although we're still distancing and doing our work from home. What do you and the wife do for date night? Like, how have you managed to deal with that? Oh my gosh, I love it. So we have a, uh, in our backyard, we put up a television and it's a good size television. Sit outside, turn on the fans. Uh, Phoenix, it's already starting to heat up. But for date night, we'll get to go, bring it outside in the backyard, turn on the fans, turn on the television show that we're watching and just watch it out there. For regular nights, we'll watch our inside TV. So that area is kind of our special go-to place uh, for date night nice yeah it's always interesting to, to see how that happened we we ended up getting getting a babysitter because we got two little ones and then we came to the office to just watch in the break room just because you need the change uh, of venue right yes yes you and do. uh my office happens to be like five minutes from the house and since uh everyone's been gone it's just empty there's just no one yeah. here so oh that's great good 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 call this is exciting. I, you know, I should ask more people how they're dealing with date night and stuff. That's a, that's a, it's an important part of the relationship, right? We talk a lot about relationships and leadership on here, but uh, I've yeah. found there's a lot of parallels between the relationship I have with my wife and my kids. And then I learn a lot from that with, with managing people. Yes, absolutely. Uh, listening, learning to be a good listener, probably the number one management aspect. Hardest to learn if you're not good at it. If you are good at it, uh, it's really, it helps you succeed. Well put. Now I am curious to know, like the logo looks very T-Mobile-y. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. Uh, Is there a connection we are there? T. We are T. I don't know if you can see. Oh, okay. Shirts. So T-Systems, T-Mobile are both wholly owned by Deutsche Telekom. So that's another T. It's a German T, but they're all the same magenta T. You guys have some strong culture. Strong culture. 
um, deep and rich culture too from a, a telecommunications uh, perspective. The, the company is really an interesting company to work for, especially because all the architecture is kind of centrally driven out of our German location. So we have the German engineering, the GDPR uh, privacy laws, uh, security That's is right. probably absolutely one of the most uh, important tenants in our architecture. And so then there's some separate divisions, like you obviously have Team Mobile, which I know Cody over there. Have you ever gotten to meet him? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. He is a fantastic human being, Cody Sanford. Uh, I think he's a CIO or the CTO of, of T-Mobile. He's a pretty cool guy. So then there's them. And then you guys are, what's your business? Okay. So we are the IT branch of Deutsche Telekom. T-Mobile is what they would refer to as a, a national telecommunication provider, just like they're, they have other national telecommunication providers, and they all roll up into the Deutsche Telekom brand name. Okay. Okay. Maybe that'll help. Yeah. And then what is your, what is your division or sub-business do? So we do the operations. We do the IT support management, infrastructure capacity, planning, deployment, and I'm specifically responsible for the North American cloud area, cloud storage, backups, or data protection. Um, and uh, yeah, just keeping the lights on from an infrastructure perspective. That's pretty interesting. What's going on in cloud right now? <laughs> cloud is an interesting beast. Uh, you know, it's funny because everyone has their own idea what is cloud. Well, what is cloud? Um, cloud is different things to different people. Some people think that just means I put everything out of my data center and let somebody else manage it um, partially. Some others think that it's only somebody who hosts a, a hyperscale, like a hyperscaler, uh, Google Plus, Azure, AWS. Um, there's different definitions of cloud. There's uh, you know, hybrid cloud, private cloud, public cloud. Uh, it just depends, right? It, a lot of it depends. And what I'm seeing in the, the industry so far is people are starting to dip their toe into their idea of the cloud, but they kind of don't know where to get started. And that's, that's always one of the challenges. Where do you start? What do I know? What part of my business can I put into the cloud? Um, it's an interesting and complicated uh, thing to go through because not everyone uh, has the same challenges. They have different regulata regulatory requirements. They have different uh, strategic uh, goal. They have different uh, policies on CapEx, OPEX, uh, you know, cash position. So it's it's really a, a difficult uh, solution to provide something that is a one-size-fits-all. And that's where <laughs> we don't. Uh, we offer choice. Um, I think that's one of the, the, the things that I'm excited most about our infrastructure. We're offering a choice. It's not necessarily just a platform. It is, uh, it's, it's a multiple use platform. It's a platform that supports companies who are just getting their feet wet, putting their toes into the cloud, um, understanding what parts can go into a cloud and what can't, as well as supporting uh, off-prem or, or private hosted data in another provider's data center, or helping our customers get into the public cloud. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, Joel, we, we are not trying to compete with AWS. We're trying to facilitate AWS as customers need it. We offer what 
I like to think of as the the choice and how to get there. We have special relationships with cat cloud architects and engineers and help customers understanding which parts of their environment they can they can cloud it cloudize <laughs> as an example. Um, putting in as an example, putting something that they want to hold really tight and close to their belts because of privacy. Maybe there's a, a HIPAA requirement and they want that to stay right on prem, right in their own data center. But they want something that looks and feels like a cloud because it's agile. It's something that can be readily stood up, uh, has a very simple infrastructure that you push a button and, and systems are created, right? Um, there's a lot of need for that, especially in the healthcare industry. And um, then we also have the other extreme where we have companies that have massive amounts of data, but they don't want to be in the data center business. They want to focus on their core business strengths and move that stuff somewhere else. Then they have a mix of between the two companies where you have a company that has some private data, but then they also want to enjoy the, the burst capability that a hyperscaler offers. And one of the things we're offering with this new platform is the ability to move those workloads and communicate between those various platforms, the AWS Azure hyperscalers, the private off-prem hosted in, as an example, a T-Systems data center, and then a on-prem solution and have that all have the same look and feel and managed service OS. So it's really a solution, a suite, if you will. Oh, that's cool. And so you, you build that tool? You do. So we're in partnership with uh, VMware. We're also going to be creating a, uh, an Azure Stack flavor of that, as well as a, uh, a OpenStack flavor. So there'll be three different types of, of core infrastructure or hypervisor infrastructure. But on top of that, all of the, the API sets and the, the gum, that's what we're putting together, as well as the, <laughs> yeah, the gum. Like uh, yeah. the, the other stuff that we're making stuff, I'm using these highly technical terms, is, is the REST-based APIs. And we're going to be allowing our customers to engage in those APIs so that they can use their own service solutions. If they, as an example, if they had a, uh, an HP uh, or a, uh, I'm forgetting the other service, oh, ServiceNow, <laughs> yeah. ServiceNow. Uh, if they had ServiceNow and they wanted to use that to deploy VMs, they push a button, it interacts with the T-Systems feature cloud infrastructure, and that goes and starts the the things are churning, right? Um, so that's one of the things that we're we're going to be providing for our customers. Uh, we already have the version in place right now. We are not yet offering those APIs, but that's next on the on the uh, the floor plan. That's exciting. Now I'm curious. I I've been thinking a lot about cloud. I obviously get to have you know, different discussions. It's like from my parents with their HIPAA stuff uh, to business owners of all different shapes and sizes. And then I hear stats about like, you know, maybe 15 or 20% of the world's on the cloud. And so there's a huge chunk of pie of people that's still making that transition. So I was curious, what's the hesitation? Is it a human behavior thing? What is it's, it? It's FUD, <laughs> fear, <laughs> unknown, and doubt. Uh, they are realistically, they don't know what they don't know. And they're afraid that if they put something into the cloud, they're going to lose control of it. When in essence, what we're offering is the ability to 
control it even more tightly. Even though you might not own that hardware it's running on, even though you might not have that data in the same state you're in, uh, it still allows you control over the application and, and the functionality of that application. So those things can all be hosted in the cloud, but you retain control as, a, as the customer of your data. That data belongs to you. We just are protecting it. Is that like the biggest, the biggest hesitation that you see out there? Uh, yeah, that and also um, not knowing what to put into the cloud. So, so an organization decides strategically, I want to go in the, the cloud and I want to put 20% of my business in there next year. How do I determine what that business is? That's where we offer our, st our strategic services, our, uh, our cloudizing services. Basically, it's an assessment tool and groups that come in, offer their expertise, learn the business, and provide some information to the customer about what to put into the cloud. Now, so I'm curious, a lot, a lot of people that, uh, like subjectively, a lot of people I interact with are a part of companies that are, I guess you'd say, cloud native. Right, they were built on tools or whatever they may be built on AWS or services that are just scalable, and that's just what they know, and that's how their companies were built. Now, like I was trying to think, what are the benefits of them having awareness of what other companies go through? Like, I guess they'll have customers, right? Like, if I have a, a CRM that's cloud-based, right, and I'm, I'm that provider, knowing that some of my customers are in this transition, there might be some value there. But I was just curious. Is there any value to these cloud native companies understanding this process that these other businesses are going through? They have to. They have to because if they don't understand the struggles that those customers are going through, how are they going to design something to help them? Mic drop, right? <laughs> That's drop. The, exactly. yeah, I that was the, you gave me a softball, so thank you. <laughs> That's right. No. That's the business we're in. I'm legitimately a curious person because, you know, I just, I, I like to, uh, I think I would just leave it at that. I'm just a curious person. So in that, in that vein, beautiful transition, right? <laughs> I'm curious to know how, how did you end up joining this company? Oh, it was a strange road. I'll tell you. Um, I was originally employed by uh, Deutsche Post DHL, the okay. shipper. And uh, this was back in the day when DHL wanted to become a uh, U.S. player uh, on the, the uh, overnight express delivery business. And they hired me in to consolidate workloads from Europe into uh, their Scottsdale data center of all places. Why DHL wanted Scottsdale, I don't know. But uh, it was a lot of fun, enjoyed the, the, the work. And uh, when the international, and uh, I'm sorry, not the international, but the express U.S. business was a little too tough for them to compete in. Uh, FedEx and UPS uh, just, just pushed them out of the market. They decided to move everything back into Europe that I had just collected here. So um, T-Systems was given a contract to come in and do a lot of the uh, DPDHL management uh, outsourcing. And so by way of, of uh, some different turns, I ended coming back to T-Systems. Part of it was just really enjoying the um, the structured uh, approach that these companies have offered. Part of it is enjoying the, um, really the, 
way they take care of their employees. I'll say that um, I've been very pleased working at both companies. And so is DHL the shipping company? Is that what you were talking about? Correct. So they, Correct. You said they got pushed out, but they're still a household name. Right? International only. Yeah. Long haul. So they, they just don't oh. do the overnight delivery in the U.S. Oh, okay. I get it. But yeah, I, I like them as a brand. I've used them a couple of times. Um, I don't know for what, but I do remember interacting with them. When you see that logo, it's like, yep. Yellow mustard always stands out. That's for sure. <laughs> Now, you had some entrepreneurial projects too? Yeah, so we've had a couple of things. Um, recently, we created this, this uh, new offering, and one of our, our customers really said they, it was a good thing. We used our private cloud infrastructure in tandem with one of our business partners to help a radiology department put all of their data up in the cloud and protect it. So it's it's one of these really great stories because they had this massive amount of data that the radiology departments do. And we developed a solution offering that lets them keep the, the hot data local and send the cold data offsite into our, our object store. So it's uh, working hand in hand with our uh, solutions and our, our sales team who identified a, a real opportunity. We're taking that now and offering that in, in other locations for other healthcare businesses. That's actually pretty cool. I was um, like speaking of the cold data stuff. I was, I like to research emerging technologies, things that are right on the bleeding edge. And the other mm -hmm. day, I came across um, they're they're using DNA for long term storage. Have you heard about this? I've heard of that. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of blows your mind when you're thinking along. It's kind of like thinking of going from binary storage to tertiary storage. Uh, first, right out of college, I met with an IBM engineer, the chief engineer, and he said they were, he was kidding, of course. He said they were thinking of, of changing their storage to use tri or tertiary instead of binary because they have some special bacteria that they shine a light through and it goes through three distinct phases. He said, you imagine how good that would be if we run out of storage, we just add some water and grow some more. <laughs> good guy. That's the, I was I was digging deeper into it about how much data they could read and write in a given day, and they said that the current business case was uh, companies that had these like long term I think tape storage that they wanted to convert because the tapes actually degrade over time, and they were going to use those to convert that. But once that accelerates to the point where you could read and write to it in real time, the storage capacity I think it, I think the example they gave was a football size stadium could fit into like on, on like a dime or something as far yeah, as density. unbelievable oh, the future is going to be pretty crazy it is exciting to be part of it too and uh, really enjoy this so how do you look at technologies like that or quantum computing do you get in your job do you get to spend any time like playing with those or do you have a, like an R&D team how do you approach that we do have an R&D team they're uh, based in Germany actually and our chief engineering team's already working on high-performance computing and GPU-type computing. So we do have a, uh, a division that's working on that area. Um, in fact, it was there was a, a recent customer potential engagement that we looked at uh, where this would be employed, and was we're happy to find out our data center provider has GPU-ready data center. So very happy to see that. 
That is pretty cool because I heard like the Microsofts and they're coming out with the GPU stuff. And then they're also coming out with, uh, I talked with Rob, I think Robert Suter over at IBM. There's actually quantum computing in the cloud now. Yes, you can rent it. And I hear the cycles are a little pricey, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> You're right. You don't want to bill for that, right? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not something you want a week's worth of billing to accidentally flow through. But if you, I saw a picture of one, uh, and it reminded me so much of in the eighties when a computer would fill up a whole room because they were saying, oh, this had like uh, 10 qubits or 20 qubits and it looked like the size of a room. It was huge. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cool. That's uh, that's neat stuff. Um, right now we are looking at a, an opportunity that is potential exabyte. So it's, uh, initial Proof of concept is somewhere in the 60 petabyte range. Um, they said they have multiple customers, and this is a, a similar type deal where you're looking at converting tape into um, into primary storage and, and object storage back in. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on in this industry right now. And this would be on a, on a private hosted type cloud. It's interesting to me because my perspective is pretty narrow and that's why I always try to widen it. I actively try to widen it, but just to imagine that, you know, while, while they're, everyone's solving like problems, you know, like the Ubers and the Airbnbs of the world type deal, there's those series of problems, but then there's also these series of problems of actually just moving tape to like longer storage. And there's like huge markets in all in, in these areas. And uh, I don't really know exactly like what, have you ever come across, this is a good question. Like, have you ever come across uh, magazines or uh, places that write about these different uh, business verticals that are like these opportunities, I guess I would call them like market opportunities. Have you ever come across executive content that discusses market opportunities? Um, if it's what I'm thinking of that you're, that you're, you're talking about, we have a couple of groups that we work with specifically for that. They help kind of identify uh, emerging trends and, and opportunities and uh, customer opportunities specifically before they hit the street as an RFI or an RFP. Is that uh -huh. where you were going with that? Yeah, so what are those yeah, areas? Specific yeah. groups. So there are a couple of different, I mean, obviously uh, information is, is the thing that people are really jumping on right now. Um, I'll tell you right now, healthcare business is booming. I had mentioned healthcare in the past. Uh, oil and gas is a little tricky right now because of things that are going on overseas. But you know, eventually that will—I'm sure, confident that that will come back. Um, automotive, you know, it's it's strange times right now because the the opportunities are a little longer sell right now until we get through this this pandemic thing. But like what? If I wanted to start educating myself on markets and opportunities, what are good sources of content? Ah, uh, yeah. So there are certain vendor certifications that I would look at. Um, I would look at data analytics. I would look at um, cloud architects and engineers and cloud business analysts. Um, the reason I'm saying that is because data analytics and cloud are going to go together like hand in glove. There are so many opportunities in the future for people out there looking, how do I get started? Where do I jump in? 
it's really educating yourself on what is data analytic and, and how it's, it's kind of a, an actuary on steroids, if you will. It's somebody who knows how to manipulate data and turn out information and sell information. So um, enriching raw data sources and turning it into uh, monetizing that data source. I like so it. So if you can get like that. the oil or the gold. <laughs> the gold. Exactly. Exactly. Mining the, uh, the ore. <laughs> and that's kind of what it is because you go dig up a bunch of, of rock raw data and you mine it out and, and enrich it and show uh, how that data fits together. And then it becomes information. And then there's somebody that wants to buy it. And that's where you monetize it and you figure out how to package it and get it done. That's interesting. In my head, like I have a visualization of a marketplace. I can just push all my data and people could mine it up and then offer it back to me, insights. I think that's what will happen in the future. How it plays out, obviously, will be unique based on privacy concerns and, and whatnot. But to have an army of data scientists, I, I find that a lot of businesses want to do things with data, but they don't know how to connect with the data scientists, especially in the SMB space. Uh, yes. You know, they'll have a business, maybe doing, you know, 20 million, $50 million a year, a couple hundred people, but, you know, to, to invest into a whole data science team just to play with stuff, they don't really have a specific vision or to bring in that executive that will, it's like big investments. I think in the future, it'll, yeah. be, it'll become more accessible. Oh, I completely agree. In fact, you hit on the, uh, the really neat thing. I'm hearing so many acronyms now as a service, data analytics as a service information as a service, you know, these things are going to be keeping on, on growing. The, the number of offerings are going to keep growing like you wouldn't believe. Um, alone, we have a lot of our, our IoT practice is bringing in new things. Um, being able to find a lost kid at Disneyland, uh, that was one yeah. of the, the use cases we had on our video as a service, or video analytics. Um, really neat stuff. That is. That's actually totally doable today with our technology. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do they have that? Do we know if they have that? They did. You, uh, they did? We didn't. We, yeah, they ended, I think they ended up uh, going with a solution. We did not get that solution uh, or that, that contract, but I've heard that that solution is in place. I know they have this kind of um, application in place in a lot of the sports venues being able to whitelist people, um, finding people, knowing their seats and saying, oh, this person uh, likes to use this type of, of uh, beer. They go buy this kind of beer and then they like this hot dog and then they like to go to this sports store and they keep track of that person. So that is all part of the data analytics that they do have in, dis, uh, deployed in several of the stadiums right now, which are empty, by the way. <laughs> Maybe when they get filled again. That is so cool. You know, it's it's cool and it brings up data privacy questions, but for the most part, uh, it's really cool. I've also found that uh, what they're doing, like that, one of the things that opened my eyes that was new for me was finding out that there are these uh, companies that collect, they just collect and connect data, and yeah. so they'll know that like this device has a unique ID, and they'll have a pretty good guess that I still own it. And then they can connect what this device does, where this device ID comes up from, like even where some people even have location things in store so they can tell when this device walks into a store. It's just so fascinating uh, of all the things that are available and happening with technology. I tend to be optimistic about it. 
right? Because usually it's people trying to take the data and figure out how to uh, be more useful to you. Right, exactly. And, and you know, the, the IoT practice alone is so, so big and so important right now. Uh, we actually, T-Systems does have a really great offering. We have a, a product, it's, um, it's basically a bunch of sensors. And these sensors, uh, this is one of our offerings, these sensors are sensors that you can put in uh, container, shipping containers that can sense uh, temperature and location. And, uh, you know, it, it, if you had something that was really highly coveted and prized and temperature sensitive, they can put those there. Um, they've used those kinds of sensors in the uh, container shipping overseas. So coming from uh, China and they're able to track where the, the shipment is at any given time and making sure that each one of those containers are in place. The environment hasn't changed. It's still the right temperature. It's pretty cool. Ray Dalio would like to get his hands on that data. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's amazing what they've been I'm a fan of his and researching him as like what he's done in his career. And it's amazing how they make these bets based on rainfall and shipment status. And it's just unbelievable how these basic predictions completely affect the markets. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, these little sensors and you know where he's getting his information, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I actually read about this company that built these little, uh, they were like size of maybe two shoe boxes, these little satellites that they, yeah. you know, you pay $10,000 a pound, you can get a SpaceX lift right to, uh, you know, near Earth orbit. And they were putting them in there so that they could read the the vessels, like the, the shipment, the freight, freight containers to figure out when that they were, when they were crossing the seas and when they were going to show up and be late. And then they were selling that data as financial data, like to financial wow. people making financial decisions. Like they were the intermediary, uh, you know, OCRing the, the ships and then taking that data in their locations and basically just observing. And that's such an interesting uh, business model. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. A lot of upside on that, I think. What, what's the, what's the culture like on your team? It's uh, very distributed. Um, even before the work from home order, uh, I've got uh, guys, U.S. based employees, one here in Arizona with me, uh, another in Texas and another in Indiana. Um, I've got basically our pop teams, our application or infrastructure support teams are in Slovakia and Malaysia and India. So um, it's very distributed. We do a lot of uh, WebEx. We do a lot of um, team kind of, uh, you know, face-to-face -face is, is very limited, let's put it that way. So uh, whatever we can do online together, uh, we do. And I think that helps a lot. Um, from a, an overall culture perspective, it's a lot of trust. and. Um, working together, working within the teams and, and building trust. So there's a lot of good things there. You guys typically do larger, like bigger projects? Yes. Yeah. But we've also been known to do some smaller ones too. So it just depends. We have a couple of, of uh, very large uh, multinational corporation companies. Um, I think uh, like I could think I could say Shell Oil is one of our largest accounts, Heineken. I like the beer. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we have 
large companies like that. We have smaller companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies up in North Boston area, uh, New York area, I should say. Uh, we have a couple of smaller yet companies than that. And a lot of times what will happen is we'll have business partners that, that we'll use to host and manage them. And then that business partner is then the consolidation point for us. So if that makes sense, they'll multi-tenant our solution. Okay. So that's how they find you? The, the smaller ones, yeah, and then the bigger ones were were you know usually engaged with those as much as possible. That's... Always looking for more. Yeah, we'll, pu- we'll push them your way. Absolutely. So, did you ever start any of your own businesses? I did. I did through necessity. Uh, this was before T Systems. This was before DHL. I was working for a small IBM business partner as a an architect. And I managed their, I don't know if you've ever heard of a system called AS400, IBM. (laughs) Yeah. How else did I change my high school grades? (laughs) Ah, perfect. So, uh, yeah, I was working for a small IBM business partner and they went uh, chapter seven bankrupt, leaving me with all their customers. And I sent emails out to them and said, I'll charge you the same rate I was billing before. And and I kept about 20% of the customers. And that lasted me for nine years. So self-employed, you're responsible for marketing, bill collecting, delivery, and customer satisfaction. So that's amazing. It, it so you makes know you what realize like. what entrepreneurial is. Yes, absolutely. And I was lucky enough to marry an S- uh, CPA. So <laughs> that helped too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, they are actually they they're a requirement. Uh, they can it can sometimes be an adversarial relationship, but it's usually a pretty healthy one. <laughs> I well, when you're it. quarantining with them, you got to make sure that they're out of your shot, but no, <laughs> she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, my, no, I, I, I love it. My wife's uh, amazing too. She, uh, speaking of entrepreneurial and stuff, she uh, had to make a transition because she got furloughed from the coronavirus. So she started instantly. Oh. Yeah. Instantly day one, she just uh, started redoing our cabinets and then posting pictures and then she redid the neighbors and then that grew into three and then she formed an LLC and it's been a couple of wow. weeks now and she's got customers and deliveries and uh, just reacted and responded. Yeah. That's, that's such a good story to hear. Wow. Nice. I was pretty impressed. She had dabbled in some other things like previously. Uh, like wedding planning and some other event management things that she was pretty good at, but it was that necessity of, I have to do something now versus, Oh, I just like a side hustle, you know? (laughs) Exactly. That's great. So you took, you took some of that experience from your entrepreneurial adventure for the, for the decade. And then did that set you up pretty well to, it's what got me into DHL. So I went into DHL as a contractor, independent contractor, and they had me doing their I-series um, workload consolidation from Europe. The, it was the European Express business units, and we were taking all of those individual, like the Nordics and Italy and so forth, and moving their workloads from Europe into Scottsdale. Apparently, the latency wasn't you know, something that was going to kill them because it was about a 300 millisecond increase in latency jumping across the pond. Um, but it was mostly transactional data. We got it over. And it was a lot of fun because I got to go all over Europe on uh, on the company dime, but uh, it, was, it was a lot of hard work. 
I think the entrepreneurial spirit there was that we were selling a solution to the folks in Europe and having them come into Scottsdale into what was then a global data center for DHL and um, upgrading their equipment for them. So they were excited because they were getting out of the data center business and they looked at this as a cloud, which brings us full circle back to where we started, getting out of the data center business, coming into a cloud and having your infrastructure managed in a professional global data center so that way you don't have to worry about it. It's all technology lifecycle managed for you. Uh, the service is up. You're responsible for your, for your application because it was all in Norwegian or, or Italian or whatever the interface was. But the infrastructure, the infrastructure as a service was there. It was iSeries at that time, uh, System I, but now it is uh, the cloud concept is, is the same for open systems, Linux, Windows, uh, AIX even. Do people, do you find when you're, you know, talking to, to new customers or potential customers, are they, do they find comfort in the fact that you guys are as, as big as you are and that you provide services to T-Mobile and like things that they know and understand? Yeah, I think part of it is this size. Uh, one of the big things that we're known for overseas is our SAP hosting. Uh, we're one of the largest SAP providers in the world. But that's what we're known in Europe. When we go to get over here, people say, oh, you're T-Mobile. Well, no, <laughs> we're not. We're, we're related. They're our sister, sister company. Um, but the fact that they know we have such big, large global backing, um, global processes and procedures, and um, more employees to leverage. We have 33,000 employees worldwide within the Deutsche Telekom uh, T-Systems part, right? So we have a lot of resources we can use and lean on. And that's one of the things that really helps too. So if a customer says, what if I run into a challenge in the cloud? Um, you know, well, okay, we've got many different people who we can leverage to help you. I think that really helps them uh, come at ease as well. So we are such a large company. Have you, have you achieved fluency in any other language? Um, <laughs> I, well, I knew some of the bad words in, in uh, Czech. And I that's that's the 10. words you learn first. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, I speak Spanish a little bit. I used to be, speak a lot more, but uh, I think age has limited my vocabulary. There'll be no tests today, um, my friend. <laughs> thank gosh. <laughs> thank gosh. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good. It's good. I, I really enjoy the traveling. Has the has the coronavirus like directly impacted your business? Ah, uh, it's well. One of our our key accounts is a hospital, so I would say it has made our business really, really grow fast. Uh, for that account, they've grown even faster because, for obvious reasons, this this particular healthcare group, uh, they had to add an extra hospital, extra bed. Um, they had to expand their VPN because they sent 80% of their staff home. Um, their normal VPN workload or connections supported maybe 800 and they had to expand to 2,500 overnight. Um, things like that. And yeah, our, our company has been 
really amazing to work with that. They obviously we all have to work from home as well, and it was an easy transition for a lot of us um, because we have such dispersed teams anyway. Um, working on WebEx, working on Zoom, working virtually, and doing team management virtually is something that we've been practicing for quite some time. That's a theme that I've gotten from a lot of people is that yeah. the CTOs are like, well, we're pretty used to working remote. People are pretty yeah. comfortable with it, but they've also been helping. I've also heard that uh, other parts of the business, like head of sales has been consulting with the CTOs within the organization about going remote because they already, they're so comfortable with it and they have so much experience mm -hmm. with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. So like what's, what's going on? Like your team's pretty happy and they've, you've been, they've been keeping positive and how have you, how have you helped the mindset with your team during this time? Uh, I'll tell you, uh, one of the things that I've really appreciated is, is the way that my company in general has handled the mindset. They, they have this um, weekly meeting where everybody is on the WebEx and this is like a meeting of 20 managers, 30 managers. And they're all, they insist on the, the face shots, you know, the, the camera, so that everybody can see you got long hair, you don't have long hair, you got a buzz cut because you asked your wife to cut it. Yeah. Um, beards that were just not trimmed in two months and the whole, it new. ranges yeah. the whole gamut. That's awesome, man, by the way, it looks good. Um, it's the whole gamut. But that way, the senior leadership can really assess are people smiling? Are they happy? Um, what are their thoughts? What are their feelings? And then we're responsible for reporting in about all of our teams and saying, yes, my team is doing well. Um, our data center team, case in point, because we they have to work in shifts. They still have to go on site. For obvious reasons, they have to be there to, uh, to support any infrastructure that's down. But the question is always, how are they doing? You know, Are they healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'll say the senior leadership has been phenomenal within T-System doing that. Just the way they've managed the the fear and unknown and doubt. I use that word too much, but um, I'd never but, heard that, and I love it. It's great. Oh, I'm going to take that and, and spread that. Yeah. Please do. Please do. Uh, it's you know they they do a great job at eliminating, reducing that. You can't eliminate it, but reducing it. They check in. What do you need? Is there anything you need? You know. How are your teams doing? Is everybody well? I think that's the, one of the most important things an organization should do right now is to make sure and touch point, touch base, maybe not literally, uh, virtually reach out and touch people. Yeah. So, so to keep it, keep it a little bit light here as we start to wrap up, I am curious, uh, what, what do you do for fun? What type of hobbies do you have? Um, cycling. I like cycling, like cycling quite a bit. Yeah. yeah road bike, mountain bike. Um, snow skiing, but it's a little warm right now here in Arizona. It's supposed to be 107 today, I think. So, oh wow! Yeah, we're not we're not going to ski today. But uh, sports in general, I like um, for fun. I do like going out to take my wife out to the movies. You know, hanging out with some friends, and things like that. Recently, started playing guitar. Yes. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Six weeks in and three chords later, um, fingers are starting to get callous, but work in progress. I promise you, it gets so much more fun after your fingers 
figure out their their thing uh, I've, I've been playing for like five five six years um, yeah yeah so i mean i was in my late 20s and i i just said you know i've thought about this a hundred times i'm just gonna buy a guitar and yeah. youtube is amazing there are so many great free lessons and the the biggest thing i found with that is just and jake plays guitar too our producer he's actually really really good uh just finding things to constantly keep it fun like working yeah. through a book is great but like having a portfolio of like okay i'll spend you know a third of my time on like book or lessons or some sort of formal thing a third of my time on like learning something that i want to learn like a song or whatever you can do to, to keep yourself excited and learning uh that's that's the right way at least that from my experience yeah absolutely and and that goes so far even beyond guitar is just keep yourself learning um you know keeps you young yeah keeps it you keeps young. that keeps that energy inside of it so as we start to wrap up what what's the call to action how do we get people to you what's the reason that they they reach out to you and do business with you the call to action is if you think you want to get into the cloud you need to start and we can help you start. We can help you start with a small footprint in your own data center to give you that feeling of control. And from there, it gives you a gateway. That gateway is into hyperscalers, to private cloud, off-prem, all kinds of solutions. And we can help you decide what goes where. That's probably the most important part. It's not just um, getting into the cloud, it's getting the right things into the cloud. And it's getting the right things into the right type of cloud to keep your business running properly and safely. Boom. Another mic drop. That's great. So we'll do oh. you, <laughs> the animation. I love it, man. This is great. So when they reach out, uh, LinkedIn, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, I'm certainly on LinkedIn right now. So certainly one way uh, I will also have them reach out to our uh, sorry, I'm trying I'm, it's, I think it's hashtag T systems North America on LinkedIn on Twitter um, I might need to have Aaron get you that information after the fact uh, we yeah, can we can put it in the show put notes. that up we'll on a slide in, yeah yeah because I just didn't have that up front sorry Aaron <laughs> no it's okay this is what's real about this what we do like I didn't want I don't want things like overproduced. I just kind of, yeah. you know, I want to spend my time getting to hang out, talk to cool people about technology, share, learn things that we don't know. Like I have, you know, no shyness on asking questions that I don't Good. know or, or trying to feel the question out uh, because it's like great people like you. I mean, we, you can just roll with it and you did. This was a fantastic episode, my friend. I really enjoyed doing this. Cool, man. It's my first. Not, oh, this is your first podcast? first ever oh man congratulations yeah yeah i'm gonna go have a beer after this i think oh wait for sure later after business hours later after business hours yes well next time after the social distancing's over uh i actually have some friends out that uh own a couple businesses out in your town you're in scottsdale yeah i got some friends in scottsdale i got some friends in tempe i don't know how close those two places are but um drivable yeah within 30 40 minutes no big deal. Oh, okay. Yeah. So next time I'm out there, I'll let you know. Uh, maybe stop by, say hello, or grab tea or, or a beer, something. Something. Heineken. Sure. A Heineken beer. Uh, right? Heineken. There you Support go. Our, our customer. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
Thank you very much. Then it'll be a so business it's been a pleasure. expense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye. See you guys.